<laughs> All right, it's recording. You said, did you want to, uh, you said you wanted to have like a list of things first? Um, I was just thinking we could have like a, a general idea, like a bud to, to grow off of. Um, I, can, I can prove to you that we don't need that. All right. Well, if we're starting with current events, we don't need any of that. We don't have to start with current events. Well, I, I can I, bring them up later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the zombie apocalypse has begun. I know. <laughs> No, okay. I so, really want to eat Mike's flesh. <laughs> let's not do that. All right. But there's something you wanted to talk about earlier, though, that was like... Yeah, dissemination of knowledge. Okay. Let's, yeah. let's start there. Okay. Um, what... Did something happen this week for, to trigger that? No, I mean, because we were kind of talking earlier and um, about... Uh, you, you were saying, because um, I'm, I'm amazing, yeah. uh, that, <laughs> that I'm good at uh, kind of breaking down mm-hmm. hard, complex ideas. And that there's a need for that, right? Which is why we're kind of doing this. And I guess the question is, is why is it so hard for people to, for, for people to teach complicated subjects mm. uh, in, in a conversational way? What, you know, sometimes you have someone who's practiced a lecture and they do a TED Talk. But even TED Talks, like uh, I was watching this joke one where it was this guy giving a TED Talk, but he was just talking about giving a TED Talk. Yeah. And did you see that? Wait, wait, was it a TED Talk? It was a TED Talk, but it was a <laughs> TED Talk about inflection of your voice. Interesting. And how it sounded like he was saying something very interesting just because he inflected right here. And here I'm going to show you. I'm going to break it down by being really quiet right now. And it's like that's – he just that's kind of played with his um, sound and it sounded like any other TED Talk. Yeah. Um, and so like sometimes I'll listen to a TED Talk and – Maybe at the end of it, I got some endorphins. I'm like, I learned something. But then <laughs> in reality, I like, what did I actually learn? It's like, be a good person. Right. Like, that's like, there's not, not much meat to well, it. The cool thing about TED Talks, at least from my perspective, is at least while you're listening, it sounds good. It sounds good. It sounds but it's not good. just like ear, ear orgasming, like yeah. eargasms. Like, or, are we actually like digesting? Because it should be like a savory meal. Like you should be feeling like, okay, I'm going to use these calories later, but I also enjoy it. Right. right? It shouldn't just be a cookie. <laughs> right. Cookies are great. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's funny. So back to your point. Right. Um, about the dissemination of information. Yeah. Is that the word you used? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. what are your, what are your, what, why do you think, uh, first of all, I think you're really great at that, mm-hmm. but what do you think just objectively speaking as a doctor as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you think is necessary for someone to be able to have that type of command over the English language, whether you're having a casual conversation or whether they're actually talking about something substantial, like, for example, Jordan Peterson. Oh. He's really good at talking about complicated things in a very simplistic way. Well, so I, I, I've been reading his book, um, and... I what it was, 21 Rules of Life or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and he's really precise with his words, but he's been clinically trained as a psychologist to do that. Right. And he's very much aware of his body language and he's very much aware of how he will come across and what reactions that might elicit. Right, right. But what's very interesting about his demeanor is that he is very forthcoming with his persona. So he and I think this is why everyone likes him, is that when he's asked complicated questions, he doesn't dodge it. He answers them directly, but he answers them as authentically as possible from his perspective. But the way that he frames his arguments, it's like you can't 
you can't really rebuttal it as as easily because it's so it's so true to who he is uh and it's so backed by his um experience like when he you know says these statistics he's referencing real papers you know he's re- he's th- his arguments are very well researched so it's very hard to kind of be like but you're wrong and if you do do that cuz he's you know been on TV and in inter- interviews where people have come back at him when he does when they do that to him they just sound over emotion overly emotional so it's interesting because he's able to keep such a calm demeanor very much articulate what he wants to say it's well researched but it's so true to who he is even though he's talking about something complex um so i think that for that it's oh you're getting a call ah, jerome have to, yeah have to call brother back uh, right. sorry go ahead um well we're all brothers in a way no yeah, we, are. <laughs> we are we are um but yeah i think that uh he, he does a, uh, a good thing about um, being able to break down what people have been feeling and articulating it in words that they have not been able to articulate in. And I think that's very cathartic for a lot of people listening because they wish that other people will talk about these complex issues, but they just don't hear about it. And mm-hmm. then here's this guy who's very well educated. You know, he was a professor at St- uh, Stanford, I believe. And now it's at the University of Toronto, and he's like very well spoken about these things. Where I think it was mainly just like degenerates, xenophobes, like all these bad labels were associated with anyone even trying to discuss some of these topics. But in the way that he discusses it, it seems very practical. And what's interesting is even even though there's been backlash against people like him, he hasn't. Um, it, it hasn't really shaken his reputation, or it has, but it, he's still a very astute person. It's, mm. it's not like, he hasn't really been canceled. Uh, people, they've tried multiple they've times. They've tried, and that's, that's what's so important, is that he's so prestigious and, is, and so well uh, performed, I would say, or seasoned, that he, he, they haven't been able to do it to him yet, where the overwhelming majority you know, boots him out. Why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because we're moving away from like an era of cancel culture? Or do you think it's more because he's above being canceled? Or do you think it's a combination of both? I think he's the pivot along with other people. And I think there's a, there are extremes where we don't want to head in certain directions. Um, but he's one of the pivot people the, the people kind of motivating away from the cancel culture because in a way we kind of need cancel culture uh that, 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 in, that, in a way right in a way in a way right not okay so what is let's define cancel culture i, I feel like so here okay. this is hear me one. out because I, <laughs> I said this to enrage you uh cancel culture is basically a backlash and the problem that we have with cancel culture is the uh react the 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 reactions that happen like the 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 real um practical implementations of what happens after cancel culture occurs so when someone loses their job or a voice is silenced or you know a political party gains more power like that's the problem that we have with cancel culture but if people were just reacting and we had a level head about the the voices that were being projected we wouldn't 
care we wouldn't hate cancel culture as much because it would just be like i'm upset about that and then we'd be like good for you you know but we don't do that right it's been you know i think there was a lot of movements that and this is where it gets complicated like the me too movement that was one of the starts of, of i mean it, it was happening before that but you know that was one of the big pivots towards cementing cancel culture which was you know people are going through these intense sexual assault problems and um then you know people are like well we're going to acknowledge that this is happening so we can change it and so that's an that's a um part of cancel culture that's good but then we have the overcorrection right where okay that's a really good word to describe it overcorrection yeah yeah and so I don't think we want to completely get rid of cancel culture because with because that's just the, now it's a you know free for all and everyone's just saying everything without any like reprimand which we should have some sort of like vocal backlash. My problem is when we make harsh decisions on people's like livelihood and um and and reputation uh like for Johnny Depp right. Amber Heard said he was sexually abusing him, uh, her, right? And for many, many years, he lost all his contracts. Right. Um, uh, Aziz Ansari also got blamed for stuff. And it, it, when you read the reports, you're like, okay, this is not what really happened. And then with Johnny Depp, he was acquitted of, of those charges. And he was found that it was found that she was abusing him. And so it's like, that was an anomaly, but imagine how many more cases are going on like that. And, and that's just within the, the sect of, uh, of the Me Too stuff. But, you know, take any other uh, sort of hot topic. Um, you know, transgenderism is one that's, that's getting hot now, but even just some of the political stuff, right? Um, you know, the, the, what happened with SVB, right? All these types of things where people get riled up Right? right. We want people to argue. We want people to have, to have conflicting opinions. We just want them to be better at how they come to their overall conclusions about it. We can't just say yes to every like feel good radical argument that comes out. So if, if you hear something that's like, yeah, like I think it's one of one thing that really epitomizes it is when you're in an audience and or when you when you watch like late night or something and uh, Stephen Colbert or someone just goes says some one-liner, and then it just obviously gets those, he knows me, you know, yeah. those claps that's just like, yeah, okay, like he just said, it was a family guy joke, like, where Lois is running for president, and she's like, 9-11 was bad, and everyone just claps their hand, right? It's kind of like that, where it's just, yeah, you're just eliciting, eliciting positive reaction, but you're not actually furthering the, the argument or conversation or giving any progression to the, yeah, yeah the problem and that's a good that's a good perspective that you just shared um, my perspective on it is i don't think our society has any place for cancel culture because we've proven that we're unable to handle the idea well, how do, what is cancel culture as you define it um initially for me cancel culture is you fucked up i would never do that i'm better than you you need to be canceled so but, but what is the what is the action of canceling so what happens after you're canceled well, your life is wrong. I mean, okay, we've, we've okay. Seen so, that time and time okay, again. so then, then maybe I disagree with cancel culture, right? Because my thing is like, I'm fine with people getting angry about things. Like, I think it's perfectly reasonable to get angry. I think the, the, I guess the canceling part of it, where you're like, that person's life is over because 
I have a good amount of people who liked this tweet. That's literally what cancel culture has become. Right? Yeah. It's like you do something, everyone jumps up and says, you're a bad person because you did that. Right. They have this holier-than-thou attitude towards it, right? It's like, yeah. you did that, that you're beyond reproach, you can't be forgiven, you need to be done away with, thrown away forever. That's, that's what it's become. I think initially, yeah. that wasn't the idea, right? The idea was to punish bad behavior. And punish it unequivocally, where it's like this has no place in society. But, I mean, it's funny because we're kind of going back to what was it ancient Mesopotamia? What was eye for an eye? What was that? I'm not too uh, say Egypt. Where was like an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth? Oh, you said eye for oh eye for an eye. Eye oh, yeah, for an eye from the Bible, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was the it idea was, behind. Yeah, but it, it, that it's like we're devolving to that. Where basically we're devolving to like here's some you know problem, harshest punishment we can think right. of. Right. And, in a, and I was going to talk about this. I don't know if we want to go down that avenue yet, but, you know, we're kind of talking about the big celebrities like Johnny Depp, whatever. But now we're in this like micro situation where everyone's got their own fan base. Basically, everyone's got their followers. Everyone's basically their own version of a celebrity just within a smaller circle. Right. So then you ruin someone's reputation within that. That's devastating. Right. Yeah. And that's happening all the time. And that's and that's one of my main issues with cancel culture is it's it affects regular people it's not a celebrity thing yeah like my first exposure to cancel culture was a couple years ago when there was this lady that was on a plane yeah was on a trip to somewhere in africa and i think she had tweeted something like um oh i'm going to africa if i don't get malaria or something like that mm. and this whole thing like snowballed into like she's racist she's this i don't know if she had made some racist comments you were on the plane well. with her no i wasn't this was my, my you're first... just reading it you're yeah just reading yeah, about this it. Was yeah the first time and, like, is she a white woman is that the problem mm -hmm. okay and she was but that's a that's a real concern <laughs> but, but my... it's a real concern it's a right like malaria is a big problem but my thing is even if she did say something that was messed up it's like when did love and education and understanding and debate stop being a thing I mean, you know? I, I, was, I was watching a video uh, where uh, it was an interview. This, this guy like, was just asking very simple questions like, do you think all men are trash? And she goes, all cis, white, heterosexual men are trash. And I was just like, you're not to the, the irony. Statement, yeah. yeah, like, it, like how have we gotten to that step where... We, we just over jump onto something so hateful without even knowing. Like you're, you're judging a whole group of people um, based on, on just their, their sex right. and, their, and, and their sexual orientation, which is ironically what you, it, it's the same issue. And then it's like this, this woman is like, you know, just maybe joking or it's probably slightly concerned because a, a lot of humor is, you know, coming from, you know, uh, fear or something you know and so uh, she's probably making that joke um thinking nothing of it then it snowballs she gets canceled right she's not racist at all but everyone tells her that she's racist right You're right and like think about what that does to like human psyche right like she's a fine person but suddenly now she's demonized to to the highest degree um, and then her own friends are like, oh, well, I guess, you know, or uh, I should say not the real friends, but probably like the ones who were kind of on the periphery, right? In between acquaintance and friendship. Right. And now, you know, she's lost that and she has to, uh, 
it's it's a it's a hard thing to go through. Yeah. Um, and and then, and you're right about that. And to even add to that, it's cancel culture is involved into virtual signaling, like I was saying earlier, right? It's like yeah. I'm better than you. You made that mistake. I would never do that. I'm above that. Yeah. So you need to be punished for it forever. You know? I think and, and this is gonna sound so conceited, but I think it, anyone who might be listening, um are going to understand this stuff sounds very obvious to me right this the virtue signaling the the this sometimes i don't understand how people don't see their own hypocrisy like it, it kind of bothers me like i'll be in a conversation and like something like that where it's like all oh, cis white men or whatever are, are bad and it's like you can't see the hypocrisy in it um and you're just left with feeling like okay i'm noticing this why why am I noticing it and then unable to vocalize it, right, without getting any big backlash? I think that's the problem with cancel culture is that we feel like we can't vocalize the hypocrisy without being canceled ourselves. Right? We can't say, like, this is, this is wrong. Like, what you're doing to people is wrong. Um, and here's why. And here's the logical reasonings for yeah. why. And here, if you want to debate me, we can debate. Like, here's my logical argument. Present yours. But then it's, it's, we're in this world of feelings where everything is so emotional and, and the emotions are what we take at blanket value, mm. not the logic. And it's okay to have emotions part of the logical argument because, I, I mean, I, I, I'm a, first of all, I should backtrack. <laughs> I'm a doctor of nanoengineering, not, not you know, a physician, but um, I loved physics as a kid. But... I remember in high school when I took AP physics, it was, I, I, there was something that clicked. It was like, this is all faith-based. And one of the things was like, oh, how do, you, how do you know how far away the earth from the sun is? Well, someone told you. Well, how do, you, how do they know? And you can go through all the storylines behind it. Okay, they did this experiment. They figured out like, how you know, the, 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 the positions of the, the planets and all that. Sure. But at the end of the day, you're believing it. Unless you do every minute calculation and experiment, repeat it yourself, you're believing it to some degree. There is some degree of fidelity, right? So everything is based on faith, right? right? So we have to take the human conscious perspective in every single argument. So that includes emotions. We need that in our arguments. However, we can't have that be the dominating force. I think of emotions like, like wind and the and logical argument structure as the ship and the sail it's like if you just have wild wind everywhere you're just chaos right and if you have a sail with a sh like a ship and a sail now you're navigating through now you're heading to toward a direction toward some goal but otherwise you're just you're just going you know i'm upset or i'm upset or i'm sad and i'm happy like it's it's just nonsense yeah. it's just noise at the end of the day so I think we got to get better as a society at being able to organize our feelings into logical discord. And I don't know how we're going to do that, especially as AI comes about. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and I, I'm glad you brought up AI because that's a whole nother uh, universe where you have to explore. I think we're yeah. seeing the beginnings net right now. Yeah. The big bang. If, uh, but the singularity, yeah, the, the, sing the singularity as the singularity smoking all the joints. Just, <laughs> it's coming, man. <laughs> Elon's king. Like <laughs> we're, we're witnessing the AI singularity right Jesus. now. 
Um, oh. Where do you where do you think that's going? Obviously, everybody's now aware of ChatGPT and what that represents and the potential that it wields. So, what do you think? What do you think we're gonna be uh, in a couple of years here with AI, and and what do you think that's gonna look like in reality for us? Um, there's a lot of ways I can see it going. One is I can see it like drastically helping all of our technology in a, in a good way, in a productive way. Things that would take a long time. I think there was someone was talking about like doing CGI for movies, and it's so much easier with AI. Like, just it's just you can just like they can make artwork. You know, right. we're just giving a few uh, description factors. Um, you can make, you know, characters in a movie. Um, so th that's really positive. And you can, think, you can kind of think about what that would mean for biomedical equipment, uh, what that would mean for renewable energy, which is my field, um, what that would mean for automation and manufacturing. I mean, there's, there's so much there, right? But uh, then there's the, the, the social aspect. And I think that's where it gets scary because uh especially in the US. I don't I think it's going to be problematic everywhere. But the US is going through and we've talked about it a lot kind of a distraction era where like m a lot of our society is just very focused on our outward appearance, our our social media Instagram likes, our Facebook likes, our our little social echo chamber bubble, which again is subject to you know reputation damage right and your whole cancel culture thing right but now so now you have this this lever that's so deep and ingrained in the in, in parts of the u.s culture i wouldn't say all of the u.s culture but a, a good amount like in the, in the cities and so you, it's a power over us right this this reputation and social media and now you put that and the constant exposure that we get from continually watching these feeds and you get ai to a higher degree, because it's just really involved. You get it into a higher degree. Um, and then our content that we fish to our public is trash. And it's not the same. We've talked about TikTok and how TikTok in China is different than TikTok in the US, right? And that's kind of a known thing that TikTok shows, you know, China astute, you know, people playing violin and learning. And then uh, here in the US, it's like, you know, Kim Kardashian's ass or something, right? <laughs> so I think the, the problem is, is that when you have uncontrollable AI in the United States, we're already at a bad start. And now you put what in... What makes you feel that way? Uh, because of what you just mentioned? I mean, you can see it in, like, our TV and our media and in a, it a lot. Like, what... You break it down when you watch any show or anything and break it down. What is our value system? What do you notice? Well, or one of the things, what are the things that you maybe fail to notice? So one of the things that I tend to notice a lot is every, like the amount, I mean, everyone's good looking on TV, obviously, right? It's, it's visual, right? But then the acting is not usually that great. Um, and there's almost like quips that people have, like, what do you mean by that? Can you elaborate? Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, basically, because it's hard for me to articulate this, because it, it's like you're watching a show and someone's like, and I told you I would do that. Like, it's like a little quip, and it's, it's uh, like a little micro-popularized uh, phrase. And it, it's something that, like, you, you start catching on when you, when you start noticing it, like, where you start to see TV shows and movies, and you're like, oh, that's just, like, something that they probably listen to, like, over and over on, like, they just saw some Instagram person. So, 
basically our our like original thought bank i think is running low mm. because we're so exposed to repeated um popular uh content that in our own bank of of you know our expression we're kind of drawn dry a little bit this this is my hypothesis and so i'm i'm noticing like when we watch like when we watch movies and 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 uh, what's the most popular songs at the club it's like nothing that really adds value to your life i mean old men and women have been saying this for a long time but it's like money rap weed like you know it's like yeah drugs or gangs like uh, sure like there's that but then it used to like now it's like everywhere now there's like if you go to any popular club unless you go in a karaoke bar where they sing in 80s or like a, a distinct like 90s or 2000s um genre bar you're you're getting like the values are not really it's it's always about power dynamics between relationships it's always about your status it's always about like what you're getting out of life and i feel like there's no what am i going to provide for my life and for the people around me it's always what's messed up what's not happening to me how, like how how am i going going to be the best i proved everyone wrong like and those are good concepts like the, the proved everyone wrong like that's like you know everyone said i wasn't going to make it that I, you know like that kind of shit and then yeah. they, they come in. that's like that's okay that's okay like that's fine because it's basically saying like i'm turning my suffering into something but but there's no like there seems to be less of a motivation to improve yourself to look into the void and and better it um and our values have always like popular values have always been like this but it's like i just saw recently like a meme was in a prestigious like my friend sent me an article scientific uh like electrochemistry article um i think it was acs was the journal and it had a meme like the the doge dog yeah uh buff buff dog was saying like i'd make nanoparticles this way and then the small dog was like i make nanoparticles this way and i was like how did a meme enter a prestigious academic journal Mm. and some part of me like was like this is we're getting (laughs) this is getting too far yeah the 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 lines are being blurred yeah and I guess going back to the AI stuff, I just think that we're not in a good start right now uh, because our value system seems to value our body and our social status. It's always been like that, but I think it's, it's gotten exacerbated. Um, and the selfish, and the, the selfish me and what I'm getting. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I- you don't I, think and so. I see where you're coming from, but I don't think that's going to be an issue only because society moves in cycles. Yeah. Right? The cycle we're in right now is not the same cycle we're in in the 2000s and the 2000s. Or in the, the 2010s. Where, yeah. Yeah, 2010s. So things constantly change and morph yeah. and, and meld into different phases of life and society and all that good stuff. So I do believe that at some point the phase we're in right now is going to come to an end and we're going to usher in a new phase just like we went through a phase where i mean for the for all our lives right as long as we can remember people have always like went into work right physically now we're 
moving into a different time now where it's like that's becoming a thing of the past. Yeah. That's a more dramatic shift in culture. Uh, but the phase I'm referring to is more about like morality, for example, like the, the yeah. ideals we held or the ideals people held in the 40s and 50s and 60s changed when it hit the 80s and 90s and that changed when it hit the 2000s and like you said, 2010s. So when we talk about AI, I don't really think that um, it's going to be a negative. Like AI is going to be a negative as a result of where we are right now. I think if anything, it might be a course correction. Um, and if it's not a cor- course correction, um, my, my perspective is AI eventually is going to become symbiotic with us. I think human beings and AI are going to have a symbiotic relationship, whether it's getting to the point where we get home one day and we're actually texting a friend and that, that's an AI friend. Right. Or if it's um, us coming home to like an AI droid or whatever it is, and it's like, welcome home, Jonathan. So, How can I help you? you so know? my thing to that is I agree. But have you seen Wally the movie? I have not, but I'm very well aware of okay. the plot. Basically, um, and I'm not really ruining it because I don't plan on watching it. But it came out but, on but some I've, I've seen, I've, I've read. These. And it's too late yeah, now. Know, like yeah. lizards can do <laughs> spoilers. Uh, also, it's it's like the beginning, but you know they're they're fat, they're lazy, and mm-hmm. the computers just take care of their whole lives, right? And so I think that we can go two directions. Real quick to add to that, I do think that AI, if, only, if anything, is going to make us more lazy that's that's what i'm trying to say and, uh, I, and i'm saying that with our culture of i want this is for me this is i'm like everything bad is happening to me and and it, and society needs to you know get better and uh, or and, and make my life better now you add ai where it's like oh now I, now it can mm. now you don't have to do anything now we're going to implement a ubi universal basic income and have the ai take care of you and Slowly but surely, our human expression and what it means to be human devolves, right? Like, I think challenge and, and overcoming challenge individualistically is what gives us meaning. And Can we put that one more time? That was deep. Challenge. <laughs> no, go ahead. I, I, I individualistic I... challenge gives us meaning. There's a, an old Twilight Zone episode where the, this guy dies. He was a big-time criminal. And uh, he sees this guy and he's like, oh, welcome, to, welcome to, you know, the afterlife. You can have anything you want here. So the, the guy goes, oh, I want girls. And, you know, the hottest girls come up. He has sex with all of them. He plays all these games. He, he always wins at pool. He's a better. So he, he bets at pool and he always wins. And then after like a little bit of time, he's like, this is driving me insane. I don't want to always win. He's playing pool and he's like, I don't, I don't want to always win. And he's getting frustrated. I don't want to always win all these games. Like, let me lose sometimes. And he's telling the butler who ushered him into this paradise. And he goes, you know, you know what? Get me out of this place. Take me to the other place. I don't want to be in here in heaven. Take me to the other place. And the guy looks at him and goes, sir, how are you not so sure? This isn't the other place. <laughs> and he just laughs maniacally. And it's the idea that you have no struggle in life. That is the struggle, right? And I, I kind of mentioned this. I guess, uh, maybe next episode, right? If yeah, I know, know I know what you mean. Yeah, my stepbrothers, yep. my stepbrothers yep. who, who that was a, yeah, like, that was a really you explained that really really well. I hope so. The audio quality shit though. <laughs> no, 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 you, no. You broke it down really well. If you don't mind, just in case we don't release that one, can you 
Yeah, so, yeah. So just to to be nice to my my uh, family, I I grew up poor. My stepfather's very wealthy. Uh, my mom married my stepfather. We uh, went out between the ages like eight and twelve. I say between the ages because it was not like a solid marriage. It had a lot of, but they're still together. And um, I went from you know living behind a pizza place to private jets. And so my my stepbrothers on my stepdad's side, uh, they were very. Uh, they, they had everything they wanted, but it didn't make their lives easy. Like one of them is pretty much he's on the spectrum. Um, is it right? What's the PC nowadays to say Asperger's? <laughs> no, that's the, no. On the spectrum is it's on the spectrum. Yeah, right. PC way, yeah. But uh, and then you know, it's, and then they they've been sheltered their whole lives, and they don't have a lot of external connections. They don't have a lot of friends. They don't because they haven't been exposed to a lot. They haven't had. A lot of challenges and now their their challenge in life is finding meaning and purpose and they have their obsessions they love i mean I, i'm with them i love star wars I, yeah, I love it with them that was one of their and anyone who knows people on the spectrum knows that people tend to have these obsessions and um but their, their lives are hard they have difficult things even though they have anything they could ever physically want their their tummies are full yet both of them have developed eating disorders mm. Um, so one of them has very particular, you know, only eat pizza and chicken. And it's, it's like, he's, I've seen him go from very, very fat to very skinny, very quickly after COVID. Cause he had like a psychotic, a psychic break basically. And, uh, it's just, it's just hard, uh, because, you know, just because you have resources doesn't mean your life is, is content. And, and I love this conversation just to jump in because I think there's this impression that money is everything and it's just so not yeah so far from the truth right like yeah. we get it money does solve a lot of problems but does it innately make you happy and i know we've all heard this quote a thousand times money doesn't make you happy but it's really true there are a lot of uber right wealthy people who are miserable so would you have all the money they have and be miserable you know and i know for a lot of people they're like yeah of course yeah give me the money i'll be good but it's not always life is in black and white you know well i also i sometimes think about like um what are your motivations behind the money? Because if, if you're in the game and you can have a healthy relationship with the money game, and I think you have a good, healthy relationship with it, but some people are in the game and they have a very unhealthy relationship with it and they get addicted to, I'm going to make more. I'm going to make, I'm going to be the best. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be better than someone and they get very competitive. And then it becomes something that rules their life. Now they've given all their freedom to the game. So it could be the money game. It could be a sport. You know, we kind of see it a little bit in Michael Jordan's documentary. You know, how addicted he was to beating his opponent. And we can marvel at that. But we can also see it as somewhat of a sickness. Mm. Because he couldn't really control how competitive he was. At a certain point, he was like, this is my life. Right. But it also is what made him great. It was a trade-off. So you, you have people who are like, you know, I don't know. Do you think Jeff Bezos is happy? Like, we say, like, oh, Jeff Bezos and all this stuff. Like, do you think Elon Musk is happy? Like, I don't know if I would say, I don't, I, don't, I think they're con- probably content. I think Elon's probably content um, I think also, in his own way. Yeah. But I don't think if you, if you translated what he, he wanted to anyone else, like, he does, I don't think he lives in a big mansion. He lives in, like, like whatever tiny home he lives by the, uh, SpaceX. Um, so, like, there are many people who think, oh, if I had that money, I would do this. Well, look, to get that much money, you have to be some sort of neurotic. 
And at that point, what makes you fulfilled is probably not what is spending your money. Let me ask you this, though. Do you... I feel like there's a point where you're making such a difference on the planet mm. that your purpose transcends the pursuit of happiness. I don't think Elon wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be happy today, or... No. Or even, like, I don't think it's a thing he thinks about, just because he's making such big differences in the world in a different sector. Well, you know how I feel about it. Of course, of course. But whether... this is And this is an objective opinion. Right. No, and and I agree. But he's making a big difference when it comes to vehicles. Right. When it comes to the U.S. space program, when it comes to so many different sectors in in human society, not just American, in human society, that... And the same thing we can... Make the Jeff same Bezos. case for Bezos yeah. or other billionaires, Bill Gates, Bill Gates. or whatever. Yeah. We can go down the line. Um, I do think, though, that there are some people who are super wealthy who do prioritize being happy. Yes. Um, but I do also think that there's a segment of that population that, you know, you get, to, you, there's a place you get to where it's just like you have so much stuff on your shoulders where it's like you don't have the luxury. It's kind of like, think of like a single mom with like eight kids. Yeah. I don't think a single mom with eight kids has the luxury of like saying, I just want to be happy. And like, no, she probably has three or four jobs. She's constantly trying to provide for the kids. She's playing mom and dad. Yes. And, you know, she's playing a lot of different roles. So my question to you is, do you, do you think um, that Ilana, whoever else, when you get to a certain status where you're making such big decisions that impact governments yeah, yeah. and economies, do you think that's still a priority at that point? What's still a priority? Uh, being happy. No, I think, I think I should have rephrased my question. I think what we really care about, and maybe it's, it's good that we were, t- we're here, is we really care about fulfillment. We don't really care about happiness. I think people think they want happiness. And so you have like these bouts of hedonism. But like, so for example, you might have like a, someone who's rich who inherited all their wealth. But instead of being like my brothers who are they're very just kind sweet kids that you know still have difficulties maybe they're the type that like get the big jet ski you know get the girls and they're just like flashing all their money around and they have they don't need to work they have a trust fund let's just paint that picture of that person right that hedonistic lifestyle is very similar to the one that i articulated in the twilight zone episode right of just someone who's getting what they want but it doesn't actually as i kind of mentioned before you need some sort of challenge and overcoming of self to get some sort of purpose. And you said the word purpose. Purpose is what I think gives you fulfillment. And fulfillment is what we really desire. Happiness is an affect. Happiness it's comes. Yes, it's, fleeting, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's like a, uh, you know, it's, it's a post-workout high. That's what happiness is. But to get to that, you need to work out. And, and that can be grueling, Right. But it, when you get into the rhythm, anyone who works out knows you get into the rhythm, you start to feel, okay, um, like I'm used to this kind of pain. I understand the process. I'm going to get through it. And I think that's what we all aim to be, uh, is, is kind of get into the flow of dealing with suffering to a point where we can kind of cut off the deepest depths of suffering as much as we can and get to the highest highs while still feeling purposeful. So as a, a math person, I picture it as a sine wave he- heading up. Mm. And then we try to cut off the bottom ends of the sine wave right, as much right. as possible. I think that's a really good way to 
to break it down actually happiness versus fulfillment because as we were talking i was thinking about the fact that you can easily be happy sorry you can be easily fulfilled and feel fulfilled for 40 years straight yeah but are you going to be happy for 40 years straight fuck no like there's i don't yeah, think yeah. there's anybody that ever existed that can truly say they were happy well, or they're I, just super like repressed but they're, they're, maybe 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 monks. I was gonna I say they've done brain scans of certain monks, and they are like uh, chemically happier. Yeah. <laughs> like well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's why I brought them up. Their dopamine is yeah, spiking their crazy. Path is, is different, but yeah, I'm I'm more referring to like most people in society, right? Right. Um. So I love that you explained it that way because I I do believe that fulfillment is where it's all about, but it's so hard because so many people don't follow their heart, right? You could be at a yeah. job, you're beat down, you're miserable, you hate your boss, you don't, you literally don't care anymore. You're just there just to be there. Right. But, and you know you need to leave to be happier or more fulfilled, but you don't. Yeah. So that pattern and that trajectory continues, right? Or it could be like a bad relationship. Everybody oh, yeah. can identify. You're trapped in a bad relationship. Um, or, or not trapped. You're just in it and you're scared of if you leave, you're not going to be loved. You're not going to feel loved by anyone else. Right. Or it's just a very unhealthy well, the, situation. The fears are trapping you. There That's, you go. You know, yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I wrote an article for uh, my high school. And uh, I, I said this, that when, you, when in life you, you come, there are many walls in life. And you have a few decisions of how to approach that wall. You can either smash it down jump over it and go around it where you can turn the other way and find a new path and those are your options and um so you really have to think about like how how fucking tight is this wall right and uh and sometimes like the hard job is you just do, having to do your shit to to get to and we talked about working out like it's just a heavy weight you gotta you gotta pump it out right sometimes that's what it is in the job sometimes it's fucking unhealthy get the hell out. Like, this is a waste of your time. It's, it's causing you negative uh, benefit. Like, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're worse off right. staying. No matter how much money you're making, you're, you're just, like, time is our, is our most valuable asset. And you're draining it by, by just working in this forever, right? And before so... You, before you keep going, yeah. I want to um, make a pit stop. Yeah, go ahead. Um, a point you just made, which I really love. So why do you think people don't make that jump? Why do you, where do you think it comes from? A lot of, for, I'm aware that for a lot of people it comes from fear, right? The fear of failure, the fear of uncertainty, the fear is like the fear of what's on the other side, um, the fear of something new. But from your perspective, why do you think there are so many people in unhappy situations, whether it's, I hate the city I live in, I hate my relationship, I hate my job, I hate this, I hate that, or I'm not happy with my current situation. Why do you think there's so many people that feel that way, but don't take the, the step to make a change? There, there are so many reasons. Um, I think some I would like to address first is I think there are cultural reasons. So, um, and I'm you know, not going to speak for all of these races that, that I might uh, talk about, but like, for example, I think I was at Korean barbecue once and I was in grad school and I was having this conversation like, why would you do a job you hate? Like, no matter how much money. And then one of the, I think it was, it was either a Korean friend or a Chinese friend was just like, 
Like you, you don't get it. But yeah, I would do them. I would do the job. Like you, you just don't get it. And I, it took me a while. And I've been surrounded by people from Asia my whole life. And it took me a while to really understand. Uh, but I think I kind of do. Like you grow. I, I don't. But I think I, I get a, a little bit of an affect from it. But is that you, you grow up and your family, the only thing that they stress is that you get a good job. And your validation is tied to their validation. And you don't have a good job, even if you're doing stuff that's better for you. Your validation is now tied irreparably to your, I'm not irreparably, but pretty damn tightly to how you were groomed and your developmental years. And it's going to be very hard to break that. And so from a psychology perspective, I, I think sometimes our, the way we, our brains sometimes work is kind of like foundation for a house. We lay our logs down and if we have bad foundation, sometimes we've got to go back and and improve it but by doing that you risk building up all breaking down all the things that you built up Mm. and i think like in that situation it's like you're you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because you on one side you're like i know this will make me happier as a person if i quit this job and the other it's like but i'm also dependent on this on this sense of fulfillment and duty by staying at this job and so it becomes very hard from a cultural perspective how you're groomed to break out of that. And I think that's part of one of God, like quite spiritual, but like God's challenges is just you sometimes have to go through it kind of a psychological death in a way in order to get to a higher level. And you basically you're in, uh, in, in I think it's in Buddhism, it's samsara. You know what samsara is? no. I've heard of it, but I'm not well-versed. So samsara is before nirvana. It's what technically we're all in, which is the cycle of, of rebirth, death and rebirth. And it's basically we're kind of cycling through suffering and pain and, and happiness and joy uh, over and over and over. And, that's the, and then we go through multiple lives, and that's what samsara is. Samsara is the cycle. And so you can think of like the psychological development in you know, coming to to escaping a bad situation as escaping sort of a, a micro samsara. You have to break some big psychological structure, foundation, in order to break out of it. You're in a bad relationship, you're like, okay, am I going to be loved outside of this person? And I've struggled with that. I mean, I, anyone I think who's been in love and lost has struggled with that to some degree. But you have to believe and have a leap of faith of this is not good now. I have to get out of this if I ever want something better for myself. And, and in economics, it's risk and reward. Like, there is going to be risk. You could be wrong. But you have to make a conscious choice of, am I okay with this for the rest of my life? And I think, for me, which is why I don't get in these situations as often, it's because I tend to, to knock myself out because I had deep depression. And as a child, and now I cling to life because I know how devastating it could be when, when life is taken away from you, almost. So, you, so I cling to it. And so when I, when I notice that life isn't optimal, and probably to a fault, I try to find the most optimal path. And I'm willing to risk whatever is, is there to get there. 
Um, but, but to your point, yes, or against your point that you made earlier about yeah. it being a cultural thing, I disagree with you because everything you just said has nothing to do with culture. That's that has to do with you as a human being. That's so I think. It's but a I'm human saying, thing. but so culture, I think, is is more of like a statistic blanket. You know, it, it's something that would cause a, a, a group of people to probably have a more difficult time than another group of people. But it doesn't mean that every individual is going to be subjected to that. It doesn't mean that every Chinese Korean person is going to have that problem. That is not true. There, I mean, there's plenty of people that, that would never have that problem. Right. But it, it just means like, um, <laughs> I mean, as a Jew, I might bargain for a bagel. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I just had to throw in a joke. But like, there is a... a something that you know culture has affects us i do yeah you're right i mean I, I i do i am aware that i'm sure it plays some type of role in you know in some cases but in most cases that cultural affect is is not present so if you're just um someone that just lives wherever you live at somewhere in the world yeah we all have these not all of us like you said but most of us have these um irrational or at least to us it's rational but irrational apprehensions about making changes that would benefit us right and for, for some reason there's just this constant fear of like failure or fear of change that overtakes us that keeps us in this state of um non-content and being unhappy and it just it's a very interesting uh and, and that's what where that's why i fear ai a little bit yeah, or a lot of it <laughs> is because I think it'll make it so. If AI is purpose is to soothe, you know, the humans, let's just say, and if there's a little robot coming around soothing us and whatever elements that we have, we're not going to embrace the change. We're not going to be triggered to the point of breaking our system so that we find a better one, which is the spark of human expression and fulfillment. So I, that's what I worry about. So I worry about like, you know, we're all just big butted, big lipped Kim Kardashians and ripped mm. and Hemsworths, and we're all just walking around feeling really good about that. But then we're vapid. I mean, was it Fahrenheit four uh, four fifty one? No, yeah. yeah. Have you read that book? I have. I've I've seen some stuff, some content about it, but I haven't read. I mean, it's it's a dystopian society where basically like everyone's pacified to the point where. They, they know something's missing. So few people know something's missing. And oh, everyone kind of knows. Everyone's suffering, but they're, they're just in a state of distraction. But they're too afraid to break out of it. Mm. And um, so there are a select few who decide to read a book. Ooh. And because mm. reading is out. Basically, it's outlawed. It's outlawed. Yeah. And so it's like human expression is limited because you can't delve so basically, in this society, they've um, decided, <laughs> the irony is palpable, because people got too offended. Hmm. Because there would be too much philosophical and social psychological thought going into writing and books and, and expression. And it was too, uh, I guess, um, agitating for the public. So, that, so they said, no more, no more expression. Only, anything that you have written that's, that's a book, will be for a technical purpose, something um, logist, lo uh, logical, but nothing for expression, nothing of the human spirit. 
And so that's why I worry, what I worry about with AI is that we get into the, the trap of just being pacified underneath the, the veil of what it takes to, to, to get to fulfillment, which mm-hmm. is the pain and beauty of expression. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. Um, but we, and here's where I think a, like a, a whatever weird utopia could ever <laughs> exist. Because that's what we strive for. We, we strive for something better. And the argument of the book of the people who burn the books is that there is no utopia and anyone who is an advocate for expression is blubbering on about something that's completely chaotic that will never bring anyone fulfillment ever. It's just, it's just uh, mind orgasming. So it's actually the, the exact, it's iron, ironic because it's actually what ends up happening by having, uh, like avoiding it. Mm-hmm. Avoiding human expression causes you to be like vapid and purposeless without any reason. And there was the exact argument for why they burned books in the first place is that no, too much expression, you're just too chaotic and you can't um, do anything because you're just like arguing all back and forth. So the, the truth is, is that it's a balance. Mm. You have to have a balance of your expression. Um, and why I worry about AI is it's a power that may be something that we can't balance. It may be too powerful to balance. Um, and I don't know what comes from that. But I hope that our generation is strong enough. And I, th- I hope that we start catching on. And I hope there's more like commonality of, of the spirit, of the human spirit, so that we start to rally to how to control such a massive power. Um, and it's, it's on us to do it. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good point. And I love the point you just made about AI, because I actually feel the same way. But en route to your point, you also brought up purpose again. Um, do you feel like purpose is a requirement? Like have known what your purpose is? You think it's a re- it should be a requirement for everyone? Because I'm, I'm, I think we can all, both agree that it holds a lot of value. So we know that knowing what your purpose is in this life holds value. But do you think... I guess a better way to ask this question. Can everyone achieve purpose? Well, not that. Oh. I was going to say, do you believe that purpose equally holds value for everyone? I mean, I think purpose is kind of subjective. But I also think like something that, I mean, there's, there's so many quotes like this. It was like, um, I, I forgot where I heard this from, but, you know, dad was like, I'm going to stop drinking, you know, or dad, how do you quit? drinking and he goes well i just tell myself i'll be sober one more day Mm. you know and then what um jordan peterson talks about in his book is like you just don't uh you just you you can have like micro purposes you don't have to have one grand purpose because that's that's a little that's kind of a recipe for disaster you can have a grander purpose you can't hold yourself definitively to that like if i said i was going to be an nba player and i was like i'm gonna do it right now I'm 28 years old. I'm a 5'10 Jewish man. It's not happening. Yeah. Um, that's okay. But, but I have to say, I, I see where you're coming from, but I, there are also people who've played in the NBA. I think the shortest guy I ever played in the NBA was like 5'8 or 5'6. Like some Seriously? ridiculous short height. I'm sorry? Seriously? I, I yeah, he was, he was really good. I think his name was uh, Muggsy. So you're saying Muggsy I Wolf. have a chance. I'm saying you have a chance. <laughs> Let me actually pull Dumb this up right now. There. Um, um, actually, no, I don't. Need to. But he was pretty. He was pretty short in, in 
uh, well, he was successful. So my point is, let's say let's say that was my let's say I was not twenty eight and I was let's say eleven or prime age or something to start or maybe even younger. Um, but I was going to be five eight or whatever. I, I think it's okay to have a grander vision. Like I want to be in the NBA. But then you have to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to try for it, and then keep looking at each marker of success. Like keep looking at where you are. Keep reevaluating. Like okay, I got to. You know, June, JV, the JV team. Can I get to varsity? I got to varsity. Can I get to college? You know, and then have other routes maybe planned. Don't don't put all your eggs in one basket. Maybe. I mean, I mean, there is a there is a uh, something good about putting all your eggs or most of your eggs in one basket because a lot of it comes down to economics, like high risk, high reward. You have to sometimes have faith in yourself. So, like, if if Michael Jordan didn't have, if he didn't put all his eggs in 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 a basket, sometimes. He would not have been as great as he was today. He was as great because he made good bets on himself. He knew when to put the eggs in the, in the right basket. But that doesn't come out of nowhere. I mean, it was that classic story that he was kicked off, you know, his high school mm-hmm. basketball team, right? So, like, he had to make these educated decisions in the moment um, of how, what his worth was. But it, it seems like at that point, like, someone ticked him off at a diner and then he beats them in, you know, in the game the next day. It's like, it seems like when you see a painter and they paint such an exquisite painting in, in such a short amount of time, it's because they have years and years and years of dedicated practice to that. They know how to put their eggs in that basket at that point. But it's, a, it's an exponential trend. You have to learn how to do that. And so at each step, you reevaluate. You go, okay, how many eggs do I put here? Before I put you know, two and two. Now I'm going to put three and one because I'm pretty more, more confident in this you know, realm. And I think that's what it's about. Because if you put yourself to the pressure of being putting, having all your eggs in the NBA basket all at once, and you lose, well, that's devastating. So you have to you have to inch through your way forward. But then, as you get to that that level of success, then you can yeah. you can say it. And fulfillment comes like purpose can come from anywhere. It doesn't have to come from your career. And that's actually why actually I posed that question the way I did because, yeah. in my opinion. Having or knowing what your purpose is is tied to being feeling fulfilled or fulfillment, right? Yeah. So as long as you know what your purpose is, it doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. Yeah. It's going to help you at the very least in your path to fulfillment. So let's use the basketball player, for example. Yeah. Let's say he's 5'6", and he, he just wants to be a basketball player, and he feels like that's his purpose. All the things he does to get on the path to becoming a basketball player is going to help him be fulfilled. Whether he goes nowhere yeah, yeah. <laughs> or not, at least while he's on that journey, he's going to feel fulfilled. So Exactly. It's, it's about the momentary it's fulfillment. It's about, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And that's why I was asking that because and I'm like, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, can you really ever feel fulfilled without having a purpose? Even though that purpose only matters to you and yeah. has no value to everybody, anybody else. Well, let me put it another way. Do you ever think you'll eat a meal and not be hungry later? Do you think you'll eat that meal and then just be done forever? No. No, we, we eat. We eat. We expend the energy. And ATP. You expect, you expect to be hungry later. And you expect to use, <laughs> We plan our days. We're like breakfast, lunch, then dinner. Right. We're not like breakfast forever, no right. more food, right? Because the, the flow of, you could say, bring about the physics and entropy and energy expenditure. But we eventually have to, you know, eat again. 
That's what fulfillment is. Fulfillment is like, okay, we need another piece of something that bring, brings us closer to the universe or God or whatever you call it, but something that keeps us connected. And you need that continually. You don't just get it once and you're done. Um, I think, uh, sorry, I want to kind of go back a little bit. No, please do. Uh, to the monk being super happy in his brain scan. So I was thinking about this earlier. It's like sexual impulses, right? Like if you're in, interested in someone, right? Monks take a vow of celibacy. Not all monks. I, I, I learned that J- Japanese monks don't necessarily, they can get married. Uh, certain, certain parts of Japan. But m- most monks are, take the vow of celibacy, right? And then if you tell any American that, <laughs> most Americans, you know, you have to not fuck, right? They'd be like, I'd be miserable. But somehow this guy has the happiest brain, right. right? So what does that mean? I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, he's redefined sexual impulse to himself. So he's seen it and overcome it. He's overcome that, that impulse. And so now it's not a, 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 an area of an ailment. Somehow he overcame that hunger and that drive. Well, and before I forget this point, I'm actually curious... Um, if a lot of these monks, before they took the vow yeah. of you know life lifelong celibacy, you know, did any of them obviously didn't have kids? I'm assuming, right? Because it's kind of like a a lonely life in a way um, with your other monk friends. But I'm curious if they actually had sex before. I mean, some of them are are groomed into it too. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that's and that's why that's yeah. why I'm getting at because it's a lot easier to 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 have never had sex, and this is just an example, right? And then say, oh, I'm point. never going to have sex again, versus you've been having sex to your, you know, from, I don't know, 18 to 25. Yeah, from and, 8 years old. Hopefully not. So I, I kind of grew up in, in the hood, and, and I remember, like, I was, I was like 9 years old. Or no, I was oh, like 12. And I was like, I've been getting pussy since I was nine. And I'm yeah. like, you heard somebody say that? Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. I mean, they're lying. Yeah, of mostly, yeah. but most likely. But, and if they're not, I'm concerned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, it, it shows how like society has changed. Cause like, that was what was like the thing you told, like that I got pussy. And now it's like, right. you said the pussy word, you yeah. canceled. And I know. Like, it's, 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 it's just contract. I remember, it's funny you said that. Cause I remember being, um, in Paris in 2000, 2010 or 11, it was, or even possibly 2012, and I was just casually watching a commercial on TV, and a girl popped up. It was a commercial, and she was So you was looked at a girl? What? Sorry, on, continue. On I'm, I'm, I'm fucking with you. Yeah, continue. And it just took me aback, because I... Oh, you were in Europe? In Europe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Makes sense. And it got me thinking even back then about the, like the dichotomies of different societies and yes. different cultures. Like you would never see something like that here. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Paris, it was just like normal. Yeah. And they're way less sexualized and over-sexualized than we are. So it's an interesting thing. We're, we're more over-sexualized is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, even, even though they're free in they're, that way. They're freer, but... We're they, hyper-sexualized. Yes. I, I think it because... Uh, cause it's, I don't know if you've experienced, have you ever been to a nude beach? I have not, no. Okay, the Black's Beach here in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, yeah I haven't beach. been. Um, I don't know what it is, but I never, I'm never going to get hard at a nude beach. Like, I'm never going to get aroused. It's always going to, it, I, I, I haven't been nude at a nude beach. I've been to, like, nude, like, spas where I've been naked around people. 
Um, but I feel like I used to go running on Black's Beach because it's one of the most beautiful sunsets. You you should really go actually because it's it's very beautiful. But I don't get aroused because it just feels like when you look at other naked people, it and they're all doing it. it I think it's the it's the attention of of uh, hiding something and then revealing it, which gets us excited. I think when it's all just revealed to us, mm. we're not so excited, and um, and we're just looking at the naked form, and that's okay. I think there are attractive people, but like, and you can get aroused. Like if I if I started looking at someone hard enough and being like, oh, that girl is naked, uh, and I started building up in my head, sure, I could probably get myself there. But intrinsically, just seeing it, just on the eye. I don't think it's doing much. Um, and that's coming from a guy. My little sisters won't touch a guy until they're married. Mm-hmm. Like that's coming from a, my, my siblings, my family. Women in very religious Jewish uh, societies, they, they wear white spandex up to their wrists because they don't want to expose their like, elbows and areas. And so you know, that's the level of how I grew up, right? And, and now I'm seeing people naked and I'm like, meh. What else? Right. <laughs> I think it really just speaks to our psychology of, of what really what really makes us sexualized. And I think what makes us sexualized is our baiting to need sex and attention from sex and, and happiness from sex. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just can't yeah. laughing because yeah, I'm just like you said, uh, no, you said something that like triggered a memory. Uh, <laughs> One of my exes was Mormon. <laughs> Oh, serious! I had a Vader woman. Yeah, she was, did. She, she have the, the whole. Uh, oh, really? You went? You saw? You saw that? No, yeah. She, they, she, she told me about it. Like they have to wear. Well, at the time, yeah, and, and the temples, right? Well, no, she was wearing. Like she was not in the temple. She was hanging out at my place. Was, did you guys have? Uh, <laughs> you never had sex. <laughs> well, no comment. But. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> no, she was wearing she was wearing a garment, and what was funny to me when you just mentioned about the garment thing, yeah. I think I like grabbed her butt one day, and I, I was like, are, "Are those diapers? Like what?" Oh my god! Is she it was like wearing, that? Is it puffy? I don't know. It was just funny to me because okay. I'm like, "What is that? <laughs> that is not." And then that's when she explained to me, right? Like, you know about the garments and all that stuff. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's. A... <laughs> like, are these butt pads or what? What is going on? Uh, oh my god! Here's the thing: like, Mormons are very happy. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, she actually ended up leaving the church. I, I met but, a um, girl who left the church, and she got excommunicated. Yeah, for it's it. not. A, it's not an easy. It's, it's not, so maybe something hard. we can talk about in the future. But yeah. Um. But sorry. Go ahead with you were making a point about your sis, your sisters. And no, it's it's just like I think that we need to be smarter as a society when we deal with things like this like the over sexualization it's a problem and and the thing is is that like it's now tied to sexual liberty which sexual liberty used to be hey i'm gay i want to be free to be gay and not be you know penalized for it right um now it's I want to, you know, go to a Starbucks with stickers on my nipples and, you know, basically a bikini, order a coffee and then get mad at someone who stares at me. It's like that. Those are two different things. Like we, we can't have those equated. We can't have someone who just walks around showing everything and going, well, you shouldn't objectify me. Well, you're presenting yourself in a way that that is like that. Now, if everyone was naked around you and everyone was doing the same thing. That's one thing. 
But you can't do a stark contrast like that. Like, if we need to, we need to to get to the level that the Europeans are at, right? To to what France is at, where it's topless, and you're just like, oh, okay, I guess that's normal here. Um, that has to be part of our cultural thing, and 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 we have to desexualize it first. Right now, we sexualize the hell out of boobs, <laughs> like tits, right? So if you if everyone just started going topless everywhere, it'd be fucking crazy, because that's not our brand for our culture. And so if that just happened, then it would be weird for us. If we started to desexualize um, breasts in, in another way, instead of just exposing them, like maybe we just don't show like bikini models doing this, you know, on TV as often, or we don't like make it such a big thing that, that women, all women have to, you know, have that as, as an affect. You know, I, I think there are ways to get around it without like showcasing it show, showcasing your, your skin basically and it's it's funny because as you're talking i'm listening to you and even just having this conversation i'm starting to wonder why hyper sexualization in is, america yeah. is actually a thing because right. we're so open sexually like it's yeah. not like we're, we live in a country where you know, you have to cover yourself at all times and like having sex is like, no, we don't, we, yeah, taboo or whatever. It's like, it's such a, it's, it's accepted, right? So yeah. I'm actually curious now why it has so much power or it's so alluring, like the idea of like hypersexualization. Because is so I alluring. think all our media tells us, like, I think Disney has more, but like all our media tells us that we get fulfillment from. Our sexual partners like i mean every tv show there's some spicy hot like love sexual thing and i think there's always a, a, a damage mm, component to it there's there's always some sort of like there's there's always some sort of toxicity involved in like some of these portrayals of relationships there's always like i want you but i can't have you you know and that's our message uh surrounding sexual relations with people and so you put this cat and mouse game to everyone now it's like oh you're going to show it to me or you're not going to show it to me are you going to show it to me and it's like that's what we think about when we think about you know a person's body right and that's wrong like that's how you get to the hypersexualization is like when when it becomes a game to for someone to reveal that yeah you know, no that's that's such a good point and it's, and, and i th- and i want to add this because it's i, I want to make sure to add this i think extreme feminists will say that that's on the men the men are the one perpetrating it and i don't think that's i don't think that's how we deal with this i don't think we say all men are bad all men are sexualizing women because i don't think that's true i think we're doing it collectively mm. i think we need to wake up collectively because yeah, maybe there were businesses where they were profiting on sex sales. Mm. And maybe that was the thing. Well, you've, you know, just, just going naked in the streets and doing like, you know, having very revealing clothing, that's not helping your cause. You know, you're, if, if you think about the psychology behind it, about like hiding something and then revealing it, hiding something and then revealing it, it and that baiting, you're just causing that problem to worsen by having now like very like exposing a lot all the time you know and i think we need to change the story behind sex rather than 
just exposing it to people or not. Yeah. You know? No, that's a, that's a really good point because also but that's I, that's all of us. That's not just yeah. men. That's not just what we all have to be part of that reshaping the story, so it doesn't become a, a bait, you yeah. know, and a bait and switch or a toxic relationship. Men and women have to start working together for that story and and truly understand each other's perspective. Because if if we have men hating women and women hating men, like I can't even talk about this to someone who's super liberal because they'll say you're not a woman. How can you dare you talk about how a woman should should show herself? Because it affects men. Because it affects like how men interact with the world. Is we interact with women. So if you put you know someone who is just not wearing anything in front of most men, it is it is weird to 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 us, right? And we can't have a reaction to that. It's okay that 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 this is the statement you're trying to make to us. That's okay. We can have a conversation about it, but we should be able to voice how we feel as well. That's how we equally equilibrate, and that's how we get to a better state. But the the more that we have a, a sharp backlash every single time we have, try to have proper discord, that's the problem. Then we get nowhere. Then we get further divide. Then we get more sexualization, more issues, and. And then there are plenty of people who say, yeah, well, sexualization, sexualization is not a bad thing. Let's keep, keep it going. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Definitely an interesting topic. And I, yeah, I'm not going to solve it here. I'm sorry? <laughs> I'm not solving it here. No, no, seriously. In, in, in a way, I, even, I feel bad for women because I think they're one of the main, um, I don't want to say victims, but they're one of the main. But it's happening to men too. That's the other thing. It's... I, well, the reason I, I, say, I say women is because. I can use myself as an example, right? There's been so many different times where I've been dating someone and this is, you know, we're not in a relationship yet. We're just getting to know each other. Maybe it's been like a month or so. Yeah. And I get hit with the, can we talk? Oh, so you don't know know if it's ending. Well, as a man, if if a woman tells you, can we talk? Yeah, you're (laughs) like, yeah, something's up. (laughs) You know, something's up. But, and, and the conversation ends up being, well, it's been a month. Or it's been a month and a half, and yeah. um, you haven't tried to have sex with me. I just want to, I'm just curious if you're oh. like seeing other women. Like, if you are, it's okay. I just, I just want to know. You, are you a slow mover? Oh, well, I wouldn't say I'm a slow mover, is I put a lot of value on actually building a connection and getting to know someone before um, you get intimate with them, just yeah. because I don't view sex as like a casual thing. So mm. for me, it's really important as a man or a woman. That you really give yourself the grace and the respect and the time to get to know who you, you're, you know, who you just met. Um, at the very least, you, you sh- they should make you feel like they're deserving of that side of you. Yes. And yeah. I feel like, for whatever reason, we live in a society where that's not prioritized anymore. And, or at least if it is, it's only prioritized by a select few. And the reason I was saying I feel bad for women sometimes is because we've gotten to the point where they feel there's something wrong with them. I see. I see. If, you're they're, if they're seeing someone that's not actively trying to get into their well, pants, you know? I, I would say that everyone has different levels of and sexual I, I just want to say, yeah. I'm not saying this is all women. I'm just saying... But some... some. The, the reason I'm saying is some, some women, like, really want to have sex right away. And they're just like, why, why aren't you doing anything, you know? And some people are like... like I mean, I've had this in, in dating, like... Some, uh, like I get the question, like, would you sleep with someone on the first date? And I say, well, it kind of depends. Usually, if I really like them, I've noticed that I don't want, to, I want to wait. Uh, 
because I, I want to make sure that I'm developing. Actually, it's one of my telltale signs that I'm not interested in someone is if I, if I really want to have sex with them quickly. Is that, that basically is saying like, oh, I'm not seeing this long term. I'm only but seeing this. That's such a weird dichotomy to live in as a woman, though, because right. now you're. Now it's like. Yeah, that's a good point. Because you're looking for value. When I say you're looking for, I'm, I want to be very careful with my words here, but it's like. From a, some woman's perspective, not all, for, from some woman's perspective, sex is a form of validation. Yeah, uh, yeah. He likes I mean, me, I think it's a problem. Whatever it's, 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 it is, it's everywhere in society. Right. That's a, what I was talking about earlier. Right. It's um, a form of validation. So when they don't get that form of validation, whether it's real to them or not, or in reality, if it's a, a real form of validation, because in my yeah. opinion, it's sex. Sex is not a form of validation. It's a form of. It should be a form of connection. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So it's been kind of warped. Yeah. In a way. Or it can right? be fun, but it's very hard to separate the validation from fun. Um. I, so, like, I think that you can get to a point where you can have casual sex and be fine with it. But you have to be very good at making sure it's not about you. That you, it's just about the activity. And I think a lot of times you have to have casual sex. You would have to have, like, a, basically a friends with benefits. I think that's the only way you would be able to yeah. do it. But you would have to really understand each other and each other's boundaries and, and why you're doing it and your motivations. And I think a lot of the times... Nowadays, we have people that say they're doing that. Like, oh, that's fine. We're, we're just we're messing around. But, like, really, their emotions are getting tied in. Uh, and then there's a whole power dynamic play, and there's so much that goes under, on, underneath right. the surface. I think that's very hard to distinguish, and I think that becomes very psychologically painful over time. Um, so, yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I... Um, I and, I'll be... I wish we had a woman here today. Yeah, I agree. We should I definitely agree. bring somebody on so we can get... The other side's perspective as well. I feel bad talking about this stuff and, you know, saying my, my male... Well, we're, yeah, we're, well, and it's, it's not, don't yeah. feel bad because we're speaking from a male's perspective, right? And, you know, we're I'm getting in my head, show. like, what if, what if the people in my job heard me saying this? And, and like, I, I sometimes get in my head like that, like, oh, would I, would I get penalized? Would there be an well, overreaction? Let's cut it out. I can't. Yeah, we can, but I, I mean... But you also don't want to live your life based on... On fear, yeah. yeah. And so, that again, we have a... A wall, and I decide to do I turn around or do I, you know, go through it? And I, I think for now I'll go through it because I don't think, like, I think if we ever, if we got very popular, I might say, oh, let's go back and revisit those episodes, you know? Right. Um, it's always, it's always the shit you said years ago that always gets you. Yeah, but I would, <laughs> I would be, right? <laughs> so I would do is we talked about this, so we'd pay someone to help us re edit yeah. all these yeah, things. Yeah, I'd re listen yeah. to them. I'd, I'd like, yeah. If we got past a certain level of views, I'd be like, "All right, we're going to go right. back." And I was, I was, that was a joke, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but that's how it was. That's how it was in politics, right? Yeah. Always the shit you said thirty years ago. Yeah. They dig up and say, well, "You said this in 1924. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said this before <laughs> World War Two. How dare you? You're a bad person. <laughs> it's like, um, uh, but yeah, Jordan Peterson makes this great argument where he's like, you know, the 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 argument is that like all men are bad and there's a patriarchy, uh, and and. There has been, but like the, the the thing, the argument he's making is like before, like before modern, the modern world, it wasn't about patriarchy and you know men versus women. It was about survival, mm. and so like you try to get like it wasn't like men and women were at each other's throats for all like all these you know hundreds of thousands of years. Humans have been around. It's it, it hasn't been like that. We, we found systems to survive. 
now as we're getting the 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 survival uh you know Maslow's chart needs like we're getting that satisfied now we can move on to the other things and oh okay now we have equal rights now we're dealing with the social complexities good we needed to deal with that we needed to deal with the survival thing first yeah that was the baseline i think that's a really good argument and i think it it sometimes is it's a good argument because it reminds us that like hold on we're not all just like we haven't been fighting with each other for you know all this time like yeah. it's, it's, um yeah okay so next time we're gonna uh we'll get maybe talia on here or, we can get her um, um or anyone any, anyone yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah for sure that'll be an interesting um perspective anything else you want to touch on before wrapping up i think we've yeah been on for like almost an hour now. we've been on for probably more than an time hour time flies yeah it really does um, um I, we can uh, save it for next time yeah we can yeah, say, uh, yeah so you know we'll, we'll just say that um yeah we're uh <laughs> this was a good one we talked about a lot as usual <laughs> i wish I, my name was ike so that we could call this mike podcast. and ike, mike and ike <laughs> yeah it's mike and john yeah uh uh mj or oh, the, aren't there was- Biblical names? Well, John, John is obviously. Yeah. Michael is too. Yeah. Call it JD Mike. We'll, fi- we'll find, we'll some find cool. something. We'll yeah. find something. Cool. Um, but we ended the last one by just saying present. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of yeah. like, I like that. <laughs> Reminds us. Are you here? You're yeah, here. Present. Present. <laughs> oh, man. Well, another good one in the books. Uh, yeah. Until, until next. You know, I was thinking actually. Yeah. We're, uh, for everybody listening, we're going to be. Um, about a pool of hot tubbing tomorrow or with some friends and I was thinking can you imagine how cool it would be if we had like an episode like in, in the, the hot, hot tub, tub? So we'll badass. get there we'll just have I'm a whole so crew with, with mics mic. everywhere <laughs> it'll be like a, like a, a keep it up with Kardashians thing we're all just yeah. like pretending the mics aren't there that'd be so cool until like, it's just like yeah I do workout plans yeah. <laughs> no so that would be that would be cool actually I think we should plan to it'll be easy to do it here yeah at my at my um you have a hot tub here? Place? Yeah, I have okay. a hot tub on the pool, on the roof. Okay. Um, yeah, we have one too in uh, Madeira. Okay. Yeah. We should plan. I think that'd be a really badass episode. Yeah. We, well, we, we could probably get like. Um, oh, we'd have to be very careful because the water. Yeah. Well, my my thing is we'd probably just have this not not holding it in the uh, just kind of like on the edges. Yeah, yeah, like stationary. If you want right. to talk, this is never gonna happen. <laughs> we <laughs> could do other activities. Uh, yeah. We could do cigars maybe, and have like mics where we you know we can have like those table mics and we're all smoking cigars and um and we can be in like a crowded restaurant but have isolation mics you know i was thinking about that like if we like once in a while just play with different ideas and like we can even go to um like different locations and just do a podcast the only thing is the noise though that's the only yeah so if we get like uh isolation and we can talk about this off mic yes uh, <laughs> yes we can yeah all right well thank you for tuning in uh for anyone who stayed this long and <laughs> sacrificed as much of their life for this no this is um, not a sacrifice this oh is, yes <laughs> reward it gained fulfillment is, as, yes <laughs> you've <this> suffered is... <laughs> you've suffered and now you've come out the other side <laughs> and learned uh well thank you for joining us i guess we have a camera i've totally forgot about that yes um, yes good talk jonathan yeah uh jonathan present michael present <laughs> <laughs> you were not happy about that. all right we're, we're happy about being alive all right all right guys, peace, guys. hey peace of love <laughs> oh man